This morning to have one of our, our great friends with us. Last week we had Focus Sunday and you got a chance to see all the different pastors from the Vintage Network up on the screen. Uh, and Gare Jones, who's one of the pastors at Santa Monica, spoke, which was wonderful. And we managed to arrange it in such a beautiful way that this week we get the other one of the Santa Monica pastors with us. Some might say the better one, some might say the more beautiful one, mostly himself. But that's okay. Um, but we're really grateful to have uh, Pastor Ash Meany with us this morning. We love him. Ash and I started working for Vintage pretty much exactly the same time. And we've worked in different parts of the city, but been great friends ever since. I mean, Ash has an amazing heart for God and for prayer and for the Holy Spirit particularly, and he leads amazing ministries uh, on the west side of LA. But he is here with his wife, Sivs, this morning, um, and he's going to come up and bring God's word to us in just a moment. But before he does, I'm going to ask Arlene to bring the passage for today. Hello. Okay, so we're going to be reading from John 15, 4 through 9. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Thank you so, so much. And thank you, Ben, for such a wonderful introduction. What a place. Oh, my word. Last time I was with you guys was in a school hall, and I can't believe this church. It almost feels like you need to be a bit like, you know, a bishop, you know, holy, holy Lord to fill this space. And then Ben took me on a tour of um, the multiple floors and multiple rooms, and now I'm interceding the children actually come back. Um, I think you should have your phones on during the week in case members of the congregation have disappeared somewhere and, and sort of get discovered months later. What an incredible building. Um, so great to be here. And so great to be with you all. I believe you just had a great series as we did on the Holy Spirit. And not only have you entered this building, but you've entered a season of new life in the Spirit, it sounds like, with lots of stories of God in the move in your midst. And so by drawing the series to a close, I sort of want to talk about a way of life, the abiding life, a way of fostering being aware and conscious of God's presence on a daily basis. Not just on Sundays, in ministry time or in the incredible worship, but actually in our everyday. This invitation Jesus gives to his followers to remain and abide, to soak and to drench ourselves in his presence and love. So before I begin, let's take a moment to pray. Can I ask you to close your eyes and if it's helpful, just to take some deep breaths. 
to breathe in God's presence. Lord, we ask that you help us to become aware of your indwelling presence who with the Father, through the Son, has made his home within us. The incarnational presence of God that dwells within us. And I believe, Lord, it's your desire that we become increasingly more and more aware of this presence. that we should be a people that live as a people of presence in Pasadena and beyond, a non-anxious presence in a city and a culture that desperately needs your love and peace. And so I pray that for us. I believe that's your invitation to the church, not just this church, but the church in LA, that we be a people full of your presence pray this in your mighty name. Amen. I want to invite you to imagine living more consistently from a place of encounter with God rather than from unbridled activism or performance-oriented drivenness. To be present, awake, aware and renewed by God's indwelling presence and to live from an overflow of that presence, to be centered in God, that we find our identity, security, and purpose in him, and not from the world out there around us who tries so desperately to shape us and form us in the wrong ways. To have such an awareness of him guiding us daily that we become a non-anxious presence to the culture around us. This is the invitation of Jesus to the abiding life. Abide, remain in me, Jesus invites us. As I also remain in you. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And he ends the scriptures we heard with this wonderful comment. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. We are to be a people that learn how to practice being shaped, formed, broken and reshaped and reformed in the love of the Father and to remain anchored in that place. Just before his death, after the Last Supper, while on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus and his disciples are walking by the Valley of Kidron, known for its vine growing. Seeing the vines and grapes and knowing he was soon leaving them in typical Jesus style, he begins to teach using the environment around him as a metaphor to reveal a deeper spiritual reality. 
And vine imagery has a long history with the people of God, symbolizing the life of God's people being shaped and intertwined with the abiding presence of God. It's the vine that draws the nutrients from the soil, creating, sustaining, and feeding the branches life. It's the vine that produces the fruit and God the vine dresser who tends to the care and growth of the vine through the uncomfortable process of pruning. Anyone here ever felt the discomfort of being pruned by the Lord? Show of hands. Perhaps some of us are feeling that right now. I would say that I think it's an ongoing process. We're constantly actually being pruned. There are just some days when it feels like the Lord's just getting a little too close for comfort. N.T. Wright, the theologian, has a wonderful way of saying this. The gardener is never closer to the garden than when he's pruning. So if you're in that season right now, this is a different talk, but if you're in that season right now, just know God is closer right now in the pruning season than he is in other seasons. The branch's job is simply to remain or abide in the vine. So Jesus uses this metaphor to describe the most intimate form of relationship. To abide in the original Greek means to stay in place, to continue, to endure, to remain, to dwell, and to be deeply present, deeply present, present to the moment, not present to the future, not present to the fast, but present, deeply rooted and present in the moment. To put it simply, Jesus is saying that before we do anything else, we need to be a people who learn to abide in his love and live from that place. Now, a few years ago, while driving home from a wonderful vacation in the mountains, a strange thing happened. My wonderful wife, who's here this morning, Steve, give a little wave. My wonderful wife, Siv, took, uh, we were coming down the mountains, a bit of a windy road and some hills, and, and so she took a motion sickness tablet, but it wasn't one of the non-drowsy ones. It was one of the ones that makes you a little dozy. And so she, as she took this pill, she began to sort of just do a, a very gentle nodding off. And in my newfound freedom of her not driving the car for me, um, my wife has this wonderful, lovely um, habit of helping me drive the car. Um, don't you, darling? <laughs> I'm going to be in trouble for that. I'm probably going to get an LIC. I'm going to get a lecture in the car for that. You know, the LIC moments. <laughs> and as she started to drift off in my newfound freedom, I realized I could just put my foot on the gas a little faster without Sibs telling me to slow down. And a strange thing happened that the more she nodded off, the faster I started to get until I realized I was going way over the speed limit. And it, I, I, I got a fright and had to sort of slow down and pull away from the speed we were going. You see, we live in a culture that's increasingly moving faster and faster and faster until without realizing it, most of us are traveling way too fast. And we're not aware of it. And we can get so caught up in the external world of our schedules, our work lives, social lives, even our church lives, that we rarely take the time to slow down enough to truly process what's actually going on within us. 
And whether we know it or not, see it or not, most of us are suffering from what's known as hurry sickness. Hurry sickness is a behavioural pattern characterised by continual rushing and anxiousness, living in an overwhelming and conditional sense of urgency. If you've ever driven in LA, we were on the freeway this morning and I just pulled off the outside lane into the next lane and a car went past, didn't it, darling? I mean, I don't know what speed this guy was going, but oh my word, Sunday morning at 8.30 in the morning, the speed that we can end up running almost out of control, deep within our fallen world, I want to suggest, is a pervasive compulsivity woven into the fabric of our culture that can trap us in false fields of reality and being, blinding us to the fact that we're traveling so fast, we're not in touch with our own reality. Anybody know that? Anybody feel that? That battle and that tension between the speed of life and trying to catch up with ourselves constantly. And we unintentionally go about our lives in a frenzied state of multitasking, thinking that the more successful we become, thinking that the more busy we become, the faster we move, the more successful we become, when in reality, it erodes our soul and cripples our ability to be truly present to God, ourselves and each other. We lose the capacity to be present to the moment And the moment is actually where Jesus can be discovered and felt. We buy things that promise to save time. We've got fast food, fast cars, fast fashion, fast technology. Yet in our age of information overload, we face constant multiple overwhelmings, leaving us fragmented and disconnected from our innermost being where God dwells. It's like the Disney character, you know, the Tom and Jerry. Maybe that's not Disney, but who grew up with Tom and Jerry? Anyone know Tom and Jerry? Most of us know Tom and Jerry. You know, they do that chase when they go faster and faster and faster. And is, is Tom the cat? Yeah, Tom's the cat. I got you. Yeah, he gets caught on a nail as he's running round and round and round the house or on a doorknob. And as he runs, his fur gets stripped from him. You know that scene? As he's running, his fur gets stripped from him. And then he ends up naked and he does this. Yeah? Can you picture that in your mind? Some of us are running so fast, we're not even aware that we're naked. We're just not in touch with what's actually going on. A farmer describes it like this. A cow is nibbling on a tuft of grass in the middle of a field, moving from one tuft to the next. And before you know it, he ends up at a some grass next to the fence. Noticing a nice clump of green on the other side of the fence, the cow stumbles through an old hole and finds himself on the road. Then he says this, cows never intend to get lost. They just nibble their way to lostness. Hurry sickness, hurry sickness can cause us to nibble our way to lostness. And Jesus is inviting us to be acutely aware of that danger and to find ourselves rooted in abiding with him. 
Because if not, cut off from the source of life, we can slowly but surely, without knowing it, end up lost in unreality. Thomas Merton, one of my favorite writers, uh, the quite well-known monk, warns us with these words, there is no greater disaster in the spiritual life than to be immersed in unreality. I love that. No greater disaster in the spiritual life than to be immersed in unreality. The first time I realized the danger of hurry sickness, I was standing on a London underground platform and I was listening to some music in my earphones. I was busily heading to a meeting. I was, you know, scheduled out of control, running as fast as I can, running late, and I heard these famous words. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. Anyone heard those words? Show of hands if you've heard those words. Yeah. If you don't know what those words are, they are an underground station where there's a corner. The announcer will tell you as the train comes in to stop to mind the gap between the platform and the doors of the train so that you don't fall through the gap. And written on the platform are these words, mind the gap. And it hit me, it penetrated my ears and hit my heart, revealing to me the sheer state of hurried sickness I was in. And there was a gap between my outer life and my inner life, between the place where God has chosen to dwell and my busy, busy schedule. I suspect a lot of us know and experience this gap, the gap between our inner life and outer life, between our heads and our hearts, between our intellect and emotions, between what we say we believe and how we behave, perhaps in the workplace or when we're out and about. The problem is that if we don't attend to this gap, We can live out of a false self, cut off from who we truly are and who God's created us to be. And that can be an exhausting place to live in. And when we're in that place, we begin to get further and further away from God's presence. I know, because pastors are really good at doing this, aren't they, Ben? (laughs) No, Ben never, never struggles with this, do you, mate? Little nervous laughter over there. So what Jesus is doing by using a simple but profound metaphor is he's inviting us into a different rhythm of life. One that's rooted in the practice of abiding. One that pushes back against the dysfunctional compulsivity of our culture and is shaped and formed by practicing God's presence on a daily basis because it's abiding that closes the gap, helping us to silence the outer noise of of our world and attend to the inner noise of our unprocessed emotions. If we were to sit here for long enough in silence and solitude, I wonder how long it would be before your stuff, (laughs) the, the unprocessed stuff, started to pop to the surface. Henry Nouwen has this wonderful expression of silence and solitude being the furnace of transformation. You see, because if you sit for long enough, and this is part of the problem, this is where the struggle is, many of us don't. If we sit for long enough, the stuff that we've been suppressing, 
You know, the stuff that we push down, oh, I'll deal with that later, oh, that really hurt. I'm gonna push that away. All the stuff that we like to avoid, perhaps the more painful stuff that God is desperate and longing to get at to heal, we push down. If we, if we sit for long enough, that starts to pop up. It's a bit like whack-a-mole. Is that the right expression? Whack-a-mole? Yeah, getting some affirming nods. You know, we try and knock it down, but eventually this stuff comes up. And what God's inviting us to do is sit for long enough that some of this stuff can come up so we can process it in his presence. And Jesus doesn't just tell us to abide. If you look at the gospels, you will see that he constantly models what it looks like. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, we get two of the most extraordinary miracle stories. Extraordinary miracle stories. The feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water. And of course, you will probably all have memories of sermons given around these incredible moments in the ministry and life of Jesus. But we get two small verses that give us insight, topping and tailing these stories into what it means and what, how Jesus does this abiding. Look with these verses with me. In verse 631, he tells, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance. Where are we? Coming and going, he didn't have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves. Where? To a quiet place and get some rest. Then later, in verse 646, it says, after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. With constant attention and pressure and expectations, hundreds beginning to follow him, demanding healing, signs and miracles, he consciously and deliberately chooses to push back against that pressure and withdraw for a time of abiding with his father. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus models a rhythm of engaging and then withdrawing to abide, of doing and then being, of ministry and then actively practicing abiding. Prayer and action follow each other in a rhythm that's as constant as inhaling and exhaling. And if you look through the Gospels, you can see him constantly doing this. In fact, there are moments when you think, Jesus, this is the moment. This is the moment. This is, look at the people you've got. This is the moment to blow up the kingdom. And he shuts it down and disappears for times with the Father, where he practices abiding. And what Jesus is modeling is a life of constantly withdrawing to abide and to center himself in his Father's presence. For him, it all begins with abiding. He lived life abiding in the presence, from the presence and for the presence. And if abiding is how he lived, how much more important is it for us to be a people who implement this practice in the midst of our life here in LA? So he extends this invitation to us. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. The wonder of abiding 
is not simply that we speak to God, but that he actually wants to speak to us. He actually wants to spend time with us. And if you slow down enough, you learn to shut out all the outer noises, you'll slowly learn to begin to hear the gentle whisper of God. And as important as communication is, it's only part of the relationship. Far more significance is the ability to be fully present with the other in love, without the expectations, without the shopping lists, without the demands, without the compulsive drivenness, just to be in that place of being present with the Father and Him with us. Some years ago, I went on a holiday to France. Um, I've got a friend who's got a boat down there. I was very spoilt. And we were staying on the boat and every morning we would go to the little village cafe for a coffee and we would pass this block of apartments and there was this lovely uh, couple that was sitting on a balcony. Every morning we passed without fail, they were there. Two chairs, one small table, a balcony, having their coffee and croissant. And they just, it, it, it just looked like the idyllic Paris postcard or French postcard image. And then on the last night, I think it was, we went out to a restaurant in that village and I saw them and I recognized it was them. And I took some time to just reflect as I saw them having dinner together. And they were in this wonderful space, at least that's what it looked like, this wonderful space of having spent a really long life together. They were deeply in love. You could see the love across the table, but there wasn't any need to say anything. They were just sitting and being in each other's presence. And occasionally they would look up and talk and smile, and then they would go back to being in that place. You see, abiding is to be in such oneness with God that there's no need to speak or perform or demand but just enjoy each other's presence. When was the last time you sat in that space of just enjoying God's presence and realizing, and this is what the other important element is, realizing that he's enjoying your presence, that he longs to enjoy you, for you, not for what you can do for him, not for what you need him for, but just for who you are in him. This is the oneness that Jesus prays over us in his incredible prayer in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. Abiding is what fosters that oneness. Abiding is what fosters that oneness. To really know and experience this kind of oneness, we have to develop a regular rhythm and pattern of abiding. This is where communication evolves into communion and you're, not at, home in, and you're at home in God's presence and he in yours, no matter where you are or what you're doing. 
becomes a constant, ceaseless prayer. And the sacred and secular walls come down and we become aware of God's presence in the midst of everyday life out here, not just in the sanctuary on Sundays. And as it does, we begin to be a people who leak God's presence everywhere we go. Have you ever met those people? I got an opportunity many, many years ago to go to a desert on a retreat in Egypt with a a Coptic Orthodox charismatic monk. I'll leave that with you to sort out. Coptic Orthodox charismatic monk, a a very, very humble gentleman called Dr. Atif Aziz. And he spoke for an hour in the morning. To be honest, that's all he needed to do. And then he left us for the rest of the day spinning out on what he spoke about. He was a man of deep, deep, years of deep abiding. And he was a very gentle, very um, quiet, humble man. And we got an opportunity to sit with him. You know, you could sign up on a clipboard and you could go and sit with this um, man who'd spent his life in prayer and serving the poor. And, um, and so I thought, fantastic, I'm gonna sit with him. I've got all these amazing things I'm gonna dazzle him with, my theology and my prayer life. And just, you know, we're gonna have this great conversation. And I sat down with this wonderful man and he just looked at me and, and, and just sort of very gently said, Ash, hi, how are you? And as I looked in his eyes, I could just sense this sort of, this, just this presence of God. It was like, it was like I could see Jesus in this man's countenance. And it just undid me in his presence. I just started to crumble. And, and much to my embarrassment, I even started to cry. There was I hoping to dazzle this man with my brilliant theology and some testimony of what God was doing in my life. And I ended up just crumbling, feeling naked in this man's presence. He was so consciously aware of the presence of God within him. All he needed to do was say, how are you? Do you notice that about Jesus? What can I do to be saved, Jesus? People recognized There was a countenance about Jesus and his followers. There was something different about who they were. The presence that Jesus radiated and flowed out of him was constantly renewed by building a deep pattern of slowing down to abide. And his invitation to us is to rediscover this ancient way of praying to counterbalance the dysfunctional culture and help us not to become enmeshed into its compulsive way of being. We have to practice unameshing from the culture around us and inviting the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh. And as we do, we'll live lives of fullness instead of fear, contentment instead of compulsiveness, and presence instead of performance. Presence instead of performance. So... We begin this by using little everyday moments of life as opportunities to stop and abide. And in landing the plane, five tips to help us build a practice of abiding. Firstly, start by finding a quiet or solitary place. Start by finding a quiet or solitary place. The bedroom, the garden, Close the door of your office. Find a space in your office block that is quiet. 
Sometimes this could even be the restroom. I was having a conversation with someone this week. We are doing the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course at uh, Vintage Trinity, Santa Monica. And I was speaking to someone, and she was saying the, own, the quietest place on the planet for her right now is the restroom first thing in the morning. So she goes in there, and she puts a mat down on the floor, and she sits in that place, and that has become her place of abiding. Sometimes the quietest place on the planet is the car. Can I get an amen? That moment when you pull into the parking spot or the garage, and you put your hands on the key, and you turn it off, and there's that moment. After a busy day, that can be the perfect moment to just sit and take a few moments before you head inside, particularly if you've got young kids. That can be such a helpful place to press pause. Somewhere where you're allowed to be quiet without distraction. Secondly, we need to intentionally turn off the outside noise. Cell phones, television, computers, or music Our world is constantly bombarding us with multiple noises. We have to be a people that know how to switch that stuff off and begin to suffocate and null out the outer voices. So find a quiet, solitary place. Turn off the outside noise. Then when we've been able to turn off the outside noise, thirdly, we need to then turn in and recognize the inside noise. My inner noise can be the loudest place on the planet. Anyone know that? The inner noise inside me is so annoying. And so we have to attend, once we've turned off the outer noise, we have to turn inward and recognize the inner noise that's going on inside us. And the inside noise is sometimes the hardest because it's often our fears, our anxieties, our experiences through the day. Perhaps it's voices of our parents or others, words spoken over us, our own negative inner critic. I've got a brilliant inner critic. He's an expert on me. We have to recognize the inner voices because they will become, they will sort of come in between us and the Lord's voice and they will attempt to cut us off from his presence. And the way we quieten these voices is by learning to constantly give them over Jesus and let them go. A wonderful man called Thomas Keating who um, taught someone to do this kind of prayer and they came back and said, I, I, I sat for 20 minutes and I think I, I left God's presence and followed my inner voices About 5,000 times, Thomas Keating replied, how wonderful. You mean you return to the Lord 5,000 times? It's okay. It's well known, the battle with the inner voices. But we have to learn who they are, what they are, and what they say to us, and learn to hand them over to Jesus. So find the quiet space. Recognize the outer noises. Recognize the inner noises. And fourth, we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with the peace and presence of God. And then we wait. But waiting can be the hardest part. It's the part where we start to get impatient. The part where we start to daydream. But wait. And then instead of listening to our outer or inner voices, we begin to slowly meditate on a small amount of scripture. In the tradition of abiding, less 
is always more. So we don't have to read volumes of scripture, but perhaps just a word of scripture or perhaps one verse. And we sit and we focus on that one verse and we say it over and over again to ourselves. And in doing so, what we're beginning to do is we're beginning to shut out the outer noise. We're beginning to shut out our own inner noise and we're beginning to hear God's voice in the midst of that. And when we reach that place, that's the place of abiding. That's when scripture comes alive. That's when we have pictures or dreams. That's when we begin to have thoughts that are not our own, that we think may be from the Lord. That's when we begin to see other people the way God sees them. So the invitation to foster a constant life of being in the presence of God is to learn to abide, to come away with the Lord and to spend time with him. Let me pray for us right now.